using me, all the things you can do for dogs. I was considering those who have dogs and, and give emotional therapy for dogs, you know, that's available. They can have their own dog spa day, you know, a little massage, a little clipping of the nails, right? We are just crazy about our pets. They're our extended family, right? Unless they're cats, but anyway, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but do you know that there is a category that not everyone loves? And, and this category that, that unfortunately does not always get adopted are, if I tell it in a way that is light, are maybe asymmetrical-looking pets. That's, that's my light way of saying ugly. Be, because sometimes an ugly pet, this is asymmetrical, right? Those are big eyes in not proportion with the rest, right? But, but usually we're not drawn to, yeah, that's the one I want to put a necklace on. Someone did, that's great. Or, or consider, you know, he needs orthodontist help, right? And we don't naturally gravitate towards, yes, that's our family dog. Let's get him, Fido, yeah. Well, because of this, uh, there was an organization who thought of this great idea, which was to adopt ugly. That's their slogan. Adopt ugly, because again, every pet deserves love, as we know. Everything deserves love. Um, in our family, even inanimate objects deserve love. That's just everything, right, you know? And so they, they have this idea, adopt ugly, and I think it's a very clever campaign. Based out of Oklahoma City, look at some of what they do to promote adopt ugly. It says, I'll forgive you my messy hair. If you forgive my messy hair, I'll forgive you for the entire 80s. I, I like that. I like that. Um, there's more. If you forgive a little slobber, I will forgive your years of scrunchies. Yes, yes. Some of you remember scrunchies. And finally, uh, this is a little up to date. If you forgive a little underbite, I will forgive you for wearing jeggings. Our world is getting worse. Jeggings is the proof. I'm just... Transition, if you will, from pets to people. See, there's a reason I brought this topic up, and, and as I transition to something a little bit more sober, something a little bit more real, um, I do believe that at one point or another, we have felt like the ugly dog. At one point or another, we wonder if, if we were up for adoption, if someone would put a value on us, would it be high, would it be low? And sometimes, if we're honest, we feel like it would be low. See, the thing is, we all wrestle with insecurity. And for some of us, it's about our abilities. For some of us, it's about our appearance. For some of us, it's about our perceived acceptance by a, a group or, or unperceived acceptance. Uh, we all wrestle with insecurity. It's even interesting that those who are at the top of the game, A-list celebrities, people who are in sports, they also wrestle with their own insecurities. It's just crazy. So no one escapes it. And every one of us have felt like that dog with the crooked teeth. Does anyone want to love me? Does anyone value me? And that's why I love being in the house of God with you today. Because do you know, I believe we have a word from God that can set us free. A word from God with more mojo than getting a promotion or having a perfect date night. A word from God that can be the essence of our security. For God looks into our lives and look at what he says about us. In Psalm 139, it says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I had a pastor illustrate that and, and, and you don't knit quickly, do you? Um, unless you're in the Three Amigos and they sewed pretty quickly, but that's a different thing. Um, you don't knit it quickly. You, you have to take your time. So what this is saying is that God took some time when he was thinking about you. Exactly the nuance of your personality and your abilities and, and what you would look like. And, and, and it was purposed, friends. 
And then we hear, I praise you because I am, can you say this next part with me? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, we know that God is the greatest artist in all of the world. Monet tries to capture sunsets that God is doing all the time. And and this master artist, he says, I created a masterpiece when I thought of you. Every little nuance, every little combination of things was exactly how I intended it. You are beautiful. You're no ugly dog. Now, there are times when, spiritually speaking, we do have ugliness. In fact, something we're really real with at Amazing Love is that we unfortunately still do have this ugliness called sin. And sin makes us look worse than that dog with crooked teeth. Sin is real and it is blackness, it is lovelessness, it is ugly. But do you know, we even have grace past our sin in this place. Because on a day called Good Friday, on the cross of Jesus Christ, ugliness and beauty had a dance. And you know what one? Beauty did. Beauty flows from the cross to us so that we could be forgiven, all because Jesus became our ugly. And you have the right to be set free even spiritually. Not only how God made you as a masterpiece, but you have the right to beauty today as a forgiven child of God, completely spotless, wearing a righteous robe that is symbolized in baptism, where we get a righteous robe that is you and I today. Let me make it clear, you're no ugly dog. You're a masterpiece by the greatest artist. And at this point, you're saying, well, thank you, Pastor, for that introduction, but what does it have to do with Job? Can I get to his story? Still with me? So we're in this series called Job, and let me remind you of his story a little bit. Uh, Job was a very wealthy man. Job had ten children. Job was in fine health, but he lost it all in about a week. He lost his, his wealth in a day. He lost ten kids all in a day. Uh, he lost his health, and it's so bad for Job that he is scratching himself with broken parts of pottery. That is a bad day when you're scratching yourself with broken pieces of glass. And Job needs comfort. He needs good friends. I'm reminded of the good of friends in Proverbs. In Proverbs it says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. You have a true friend if they help you move. That's a time of adversity. You have a true friend when it's the lean years, when it's the down days, when you're not feeling so good, and they're still right there by you. Job has none of these. All his friends are miserable comforters in his own words. He feels completely alone. He feels like an ugly dog with crooked teeth that no one wants to adopt. Can I show you? So we're going to get into Job 19. And we've been figuring out that we can be real with our emotions and even real with God. It's not always just sunshiny, even though we can rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, as Job explains what's going on, we see that he feels, again, completely alone. Let's look at these words. In in Job chapter 19, uh, we'll read it through and I'll kind of talk about it. It says that, He has alienated my family from me. Now you think of family. We have a phrase that that blood is thicker than water, that there should be loyalty in family. Your brothers should care for you. Your family members should watch over you. And, and, And again, this is not happening. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look on me as a stranger. I summon my servant but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. That's interesting because Job is saying those who are obligated to pay attention to me, like he's an employer, I'm the boss, they're not even paying attention. They don't care. They're disrespecting me even by my position. It's bad for Job. He says, my breath is offensive to my wife. 
So, so commentators say that his body's gotten so bad that he's pretty much disgusting. He's pretty much disgusting, and his wife confirms it. The one who should say, I love you in all things. Okay, you do look good in those jeans regardless. You know, no, I want nothing to do with you today. I'm loathsome to my own family. Even little boys scorn me. That was a patriarchal society where they expected their elders, and that is not happening. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I'm nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Bad day for Job. He is the ugly dog with crooked teeth, and no one wants to touch him. But he has a hope. He has hope in a God who started this campaign called Adopt Ugly. He has hope in a God who the New Testament says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we're the essence of ugliness, he still loves us, gave his life, valued us, and shed his blood. And so he holds out hope in a Redeemer who we know as Jesus, who he knew as the offspring of the, the woman who had crushed the devil's head as a blessing from all nations from Abraham's line. He holds out hope that there is someone who loves him in the midst of this. And now we have the sweetest portion of the Bible couched in some of the darkest sentiments that he's had. Look at this next section. It says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. Job, that came true. These words, by the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, they have remained forever. And uh, a little bit about these next words. Do you know that uh, Job is a book of poetry? And to emphasize things in the Hebrew language, you would couch them in the very middle. When we find this next statement, it is directly in the middle of the book of Job to, to emphasize that this is the most important, that if you are looking for a theme for the book, if you're looking for hope past suffering, you should tune in to what's in the middle of this section. Have I set it up enough? Let's get there. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job has hope. And if you're taking notes, our first fill-in then is this, based on what Job said, that you need to know you have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. And Jesus wants us when no one else does. And Jesus is with us when all else have left how good is our Savior, Jesus Christ? In fact, as we continue, could you turn to the person next to you and tell them you have a Redeemer who loves you? You have a Redeemer who loves you. Could you just tell them that? You have a Redeemer who loves you. All right, can we dig into the Word of God then? Let's, let's dig in and, and pull it apart a little bit and emphasize these truths down in our soul. And um, I, I don't know if any uh, Tom Hanks fans are in the building here or if anyone remembers this movie called Castaway. Anyone remember Castaway? And, and there's a lot you can learn about Castaway, whether it be how to survive on a desert island because we had a FedEx worker who was there. You learn a lot about um, having love for inanimate objects, really, um, because if you've seen it, you, you know about Wilson. Uh, which is basically dried blood and a face made in his palm, dried blood. And if you've seen the movie, you can still hear Tom Hanks screaming for Wilson, can't you? Um, but the reason that, that I bring this up today as we consider the Word of God is because really it's a story about hope. And it's a story about how far hope can propel you. 
For, for Tom Hanks, at this point, he was married to a gal named Kelly. And always keeping that in the mind, he, he tried to get off the island. And so he builds a raft. He, he braves the waves. He's, he's on the open ocean. All because he has hope of being reunited with his love. Now, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it doesn't work out for for Tom Hanks' character. Uh, He finds that his love interest has actually married someone else and has a child, so it's anticlimactic, but it is a picture of how far hope can propel you. Job has hope, and it's a sure hope. Job says in the midst of his grief grief, that there is something burning deep inside of him. When he says, my heart yearns within me, in in Hebrew it means that my kidneys are exhausted, which doesn't translate well in the English. Um, But but it's just basically that I feel it in the seat of my emotions. Like I'm bent out of shape. I feel it so much, this burning inside of me. My heart yearns within me. And what is it yearning for? Job says, I know that after my skin has been destroyed, so after I die, In my flesh, in my new body, we'll have new bodies, imperishable bodies. I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And I just yearn for this. I'm torn up about it. I hope in this. See, Job knows he might feel like he's on a deserted island. But he has a grand reunion that he is awaiting. And he will experience joy like none other when he is with Jesus once again. And hope for this. Hope for this can propel him past his suffering. Friends in Christ, you have the same hope. We might go through things. We might feel like all is lost at times. We might feel like no one understands and no one is with us. But you and I know what's coming. Jesus told us. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said in John, my father's house had many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me. We have a sure hope of where we're going. And so if you're taking notes, here's another takeaway. May the hope of that grand reunion propel us past deserted island moments. When we feel all alone, when we feel it's not working out, we know and we will not forget what is coming. And we will strive and press on for that place. Because I don't know what you've heard about heaven, but I imagine it's pretty good. I heard that there, God will wipe away every tear from my eyes. We will never have to ugly cry together ever again. It'll only be happy ones. I hear that we will have perfect bodies. And I don't know what age they will be, maybe 25. We can guess on that. But I do know that I don't need a doctor. I do know I won't wake up with chronic pain. I do know that it'll feel good all the time. That's awesome. I do know there's a new heavens and a new earth. So if you're a camper who loves exploring, or if you've been on vacation, you're like, wow, the lake is beautiful. You ain't seen nothing yet. For no mind has conceived and no ear has heard, no eye has seen the wonders of what God has in store for us, and we're going to be there sooner than you know it right now. We will not lose sight of that. We will remember what is coming. And hope for that place can propel us past a whole bunch. You know, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where something was worth the wait. You ever have an experience where something was worth the wait? Maybe there are some sports stars in here who you had a grueling season, but it was worth the wait when you got the trophy. 
Maybe of those uh, workers who, who slaved over a project, but it was worth the wait when you got the promotion. Worth the wait when the boss said, well done. You know what it is for me? What was worth the wait? Can I tell you a story? I'm going to tell you whether you agree or not. Uh, I want to tell you when I was first dating my wife. So 17 years ago. And do you remember that, that new love? Does anyone remember new love? It's intense, isn't it? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, that new love. And, and we had been dating just for a few months, but then summer came. And we were going to have to be apart for the first time. And leaving that day was agony. There were tears shed. It didn't feel so good. Why do I have to go back to Florida? But then a month and a half later, she comes to Orlando. And I will never forget the moment when she is in the Orlando airport, and she's coming down the escalator, and I see her once again, and time goes slowly. And birds start chirping in the airport. And fields of meadows, the flowers pop up, and we start skipping to one another. And everyone's okay with it, right? Because it's just a moment that will stay the test of time. It is a moment that, that yes, there was agony saying goodbye, but there was such overwhelming goodness, overwhelming, oh my goodness, you know, overwhelming, wow, that it almost redeemed the agony that came before. In fact, it kind of heightened it. I think that's what our experience in heaven is going to be like. We have so much goodness that is awaiting us. We have such a great place to go to that I believe it might also redeem the agony that sometimes we feel on the deserted island. And it's not just something that I felt. It is something that C.S. Lewis felt as well. C.S. Lewis, he's a great theologian. He wrote this book called The Great Divorce. And, And look what he says. He says about our experience, Son, he said, you cannot understand in your present state eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards. I just love that phrase. Heaven once attained will work backwards to redeem those moments of agony, turn even agony into glory. Because when we are in heaven, do you know what we will know? The fullness of our Redeemer. See, right now you only know in part. You only see in part. I can only testify in part. But then you will know fully, even right now, as you are fully known. And when the fullness of knowledge over our Redeemer comes, I believe it will transpire such great glory into even the agony that you experience. You have a Redeemer. How awesome is this? About our Redeemer... Job says that he is a living redeemer, a living redeemer. You know, it kind of reminds me of this idea of living. Why did he give that adjective of of something that is always on? Uh, Last week, if you were here, our president said that we should always be on as members of this church, telling others about Jesus. That was a great illustration, that, that we should be like a clock that is always on. And then I consider how often people work hard. Uh, for example, I, I was just thinking, how many of you have ever worked a 10-hour day? A raise of hands real quick. A 12-hour day, 16 or higher, right? This is a tangent, but I am not okay that doctors work 24 hours. Like, I was at a gas station for 12 hours, and at the 12th hour, I might mix up cigarettes. But, like, I don't want, like, my brain surgeon on, like, hour 23. That's just a tangent. Or maybe, you know, it is like um, there's some infants in the room. Uh, What it's like to try to be on for 24 hours. 
try to always have the radar and watch them and, and you feel it kind of. But if your experience is like mine, at one point or another, 24 hours or not, we do have to take a break. We do have moments where we lapse. We do have moments where we can't keep up with what is demanded. Back to our living Redeemer. Do you know have a God who never gives up? Who never misses a moment? In fact, the psalmist said, look, look at what the psalmist said about him. He won't let your foot slip because he who watches over you will not slumber. He doesn't need sleep. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, everyone else, they might miss your moment. And even those closest to you might miss the moment to catch you. But you have a redeemer who won't miss that moment. What Job is reminding us is this, that we can find comfort in a living, always on, ever-present, ever-working redeemer who is on your side. That means, again, when everyone else forsakes you, there is one who has not, who's working, who cares. But friends, we've talked about heaven. Are we sometimes too entangled in the things of this world? Let me, let me do a test. Evidence that you might be a little too entangled. Let's just do a test. Is that if you watch the news and you hear news from Helsinki or Trump or Chicago's mayor or taxes, if you get a little too rattled by that news, not recognizing that your true citizenship is in heaven, it might be evidence that you are too entangled. Evidence that you might be too entangled is if you place too much emphasis on that next product that next experience, that next vacation, that next smartphone. Those things might all be good, but if you get too excited, it might be evidence that you are too entangled. Evidence could be that you're rocked by relationships. And I know relationships can be hard, but do you know that any relationship with another human is subject to frustration because of sin? And if you are too rocked by that relationship, I think it's evidence you're too entangled because there's only one who is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And, and, and I don't know how you're doing on the test, but I know for me, sometimes I get too entangled. And Paul reminded us, Paul in the book of Corinthians, look what he had to say. He said, what I mean, brothers, time is short. We, we've learned that in the essence of eternity. So now, those who have wives should live as if they do not which is don't overemphasize. This is not a demand for divorce, by the way. I need to be clear on that. Those who mourn as if they did not, not that it's sinful to be sad, we've covered that, but in essence of what is to come, it's just not going to last that long. Those who are happy as if they were not, this I relate to, I'm a realist, some call it pessimist, but, but it's, 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 it's one of those things where it, it doesn't matter your emotion because we're just not here that long. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, we are borrowers, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, this world in its present form is passing away. Paul reminds us the glory of what to come is to put in perspective the things that are now. And sometimes we are reminded that, again, we have yet to be made perfect. Do you know Job 2 was imperfect? And so some say, you know, even though this went down as a bad way of suffering, Job was real with the fact that he did deserve some suffering from a righteous God because he was imperfect. And the question for Job and the question for you and I is who will save us from the punishment we deserve over sin? The question for Job is who will save Job from God's wrath? And Job knows the answer. It's the answer that I want to give. It's the answer our church is built upon. 
It's that sweetest verse in this whole section. It's the answer that I know I have a redeemer who lives. Now let's explore that word redeemer a little bit. The word in Hebrew is goel. Goel. Can you turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm goel? Tell them goel. Goel. Now you're really smart. See, we're really smart. We're really uh, bold Christians who are learning about goel. Goel. What is goel? It just means kinsman redeemer. Someone in your family who is connected who could bail you out. What it reminds me of is the Great Recession and why we still have muscle cars. I was driving to my Prius the other day, and I was thinking how great it was that I could still observe that there are Chargers, and that there are Challengers, and there are Mopar products, and there are Camaros, and I love it. I don't need one, but I love your car. Anyway, and I was, I was driving, and I was just thinking the other day how these things would not exist if it were not for a Goel. Do you remember 2008? Who was the Goel? GM was in trouble. Chrysler was in trouble. Our government actually acted like the Goel so that we could have the glory of a Hellcat, right? So that we could still uh, enjoy some American muscle, right? They are a Goel, a, a bailer outer. That's not good English. Uh, another good example of a Goel is if you've read the book of Ruth. Do you know who the Goel is in Ruth? It's a man named Boaz. And Boaz was linked to the family through Ruth's mother-in-law and, and was someone who could bail out Ruth from a tough circumstance. It was hard for her to provide for herself in that day and age. And, and so he, again, took her under his wing, made sure she was provided for, protected her, bailed her out. Job is saying, I have a goel. I have someone who can bail me out. And we know him as Jesus Christ. He didn't give billions of dollars to bail us out. Rather, he gave us his precious blood. And you need to know, you have been bought back. Who is going to save us from the wrath of God? God is going to save us from the wrath of God. He is going to be both the gracious judge and the one who appeases what true justice is. He is the great Goel. He is here for you and I. Man, if you're not a Christian, if you're watching online, if you're just joining us, I need you to know you have the right to be forgiven because of Jesus Christ. He paid for your sins in full, and you have the right to be set free, free of charge, all because of him. That's grace. But before we end, one final thought. I was thinking about our church family, and I know there are people who do long to be in heaven. I've had conversations with you. So I don't think the only challenge is, how do I set my sights on heaven? There are people who say with Christ to die is gain, but to live is Christ. So, so what do we do in the meantime? And I was exploring what, what, what could be the, the essence of our life in the meantime till we get there for those who desire to be there now. And I was reminded of Joanna Gaines. Some of you have been to Waco or know the show Fixer Upper. And uh, if you've been to Waco, it's like Disneyland for home renovations and uh, Magnolia Farms. And, and, and what Joanna Gaines has made popular is something that absolutely at one time or another was ugly. And it's something called shiplap. Have you heard of shiplap? Shiplap. This is, um, shiplap is right here. It is a paneling that is painted white. And if you grew up in a cabin in Wisconsin, we just called that wood paneling. <laughs> right? It is sideways shiplap. That is paneling, right? Sideways shiplap. But Joanna Gaines comes around. She makes it horizontal, throws some paint on it, and now it's beautiful. 
right? And it's the same thing she's been doing with old wood floors and antique doors. And all she's doing is she's infusing beauty and life into something that was once, it's kind of ugly. But anyway, just style as it goes. Um, and, And so, my point. If Jesus Christ saw us when we were ugly and made us beautiful, if Joanna Gaines can do this with homes, how much more shouldn't you and I go and do this to life? That our mission before we get there, as we set our sights there, is we're going to go into situations that are ugly, and we're just going to be infusing beauty and life. We're going to do that with a relationship. And all we've experienced is ugliness, but we're going to kill them with kindness. And we're going to show them Christ-like love. Not even because they deserve it, but because Christ showed it to us first. And we're going to go into work, and we know who the problem people are, and we know the situation that's a mess, and we're going to do our best in stewardship to use our gifts to make that better. And we're going to go um, in, into soccer camp, and there's soccer camp coming up. And we might have an ornery camper come our way, and they might have a bad attitude, but we're going to love them so much that they're going to walk away smiling, having a great day, because we're going to infuse beauty and life into something that was ugly. I think that's our mission. Because that's what Christ has done for you and I. Never forget that you have an eternal home. Never forget that you have a living Redeemer And may God so bless you in the meantime to trade ugliness for beauty. Amen.